You've joined the Digital Transformation Success Podcast. I'm your host, Priscilla McKinney. I consult with leaders around the globe and bring their teams through a digital transformation journey. Realizing digital transformation across an entire organization is key to business success. While the phrase digital transformation is often used, it's not always understood. So we start each episode with my brief working definition. Digital transformation refers to the purposeful integration of digital technology into all areas of a business. It goes beyond technological innovations in that it requires a fundamental mindset shift of how to operate internally and deliver maximum value to customers at scale. When done well, it results in a culture change to an environment where opportunities for digital technology are not missed but are thoughtfully used to change established practices and processes for greater efficiency, flexibility, and profitability. You'll hear from consultants, trainers, executives, innovators, and thought leaders. We will avoid buzzwords, jargon, and leave behind our egos to help you take that next step toward digital transformation success. Let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to Digital Transformation Success live from Green Books IIEX. This is my favorite show, and I get to have one of my favorite guests on. So welcome to the show, Zach Nifford. Thank you, Priscilla. It's great to be here with you. Cool. Well, Zach is the president over at Civic Science Intelligence, and it's no secret that I love this company because you guys put out some of the most interesting stuff. But what is so interesting when I talk with you is about how we turn that interesting information into real business intelligence. So we're going to talk about that today, and um, this is no better place than an innovation context to talk about really what businesses need to do not just to emerge from the pandemic, which we're all trying to do, but also how should businesses be forward thinking and really always moving the needle on what needs to happen next, which is very difficult. Like we can all see what's happened in the past, but I love how much civic science intelligence is focused on the future. So tell everybody a little bit about your day-to-day at civic science intelligence, what you guys are about, and then I'm going to grill you. How about that? That sounds wonderful. (laughs) Well, again, it's a pleasure to be here with you. I think the world of you and all the amazing work that you do. Uh, Long-time listener, uh, (laughs) first-time caller Love it. (laughs) So, yeah, we are doing some pretty incredible things at at Civic Science. I joined almost two years ago uh, after uh, a successful exit with my prior company, MotiveQuest, uh, which was acquired by LRW, uh, which is now Material Plus. And Uh, on and on go the acquisitions. Yes, I think they're up to 11 now, but fantastic company. Uh, Was excited to be part of that world, but... Uh, my entrepreneurial spirit uh, had me move into a different space, and I've known John Dick, the founder of Civic Science, for a while, uh, and he reached out serendipitously uh, in the beginning of the pandemic and said, hey, what are you up to? And I said, well, I resigned. I'm moving on to my next thing. I don't know what it is yet. And he goes, can you be on a flight to Pittsburgh next week and meet with my team? So there I was, and uh, as the president of Civic Science, I really am excited to get to build Uh, and grow a team, uh, bring new products and solutions to the market. I think as we've learned in this conference, uh, agility, new data sources, all of that are the future of Mm -hmm. research, insights, data, how we operate, you know, as big companies, small companies, and Mm -hmm. all of that is very important. So a lot to be done uh, in the the space, and I'm excited to be part of it with Civic Science. Awesome. Well, one reason why I asked you to um, come on my show is specifically about this 
a lot of work to be done in the future yeah. idea. Okay, so today we're going to talk about business intelligence as a competitive advantage um, and why brand trackers in this industry just simply have to change. So um, I alluded to it a little bit early in our uh, introduction, but there's so much that was in market research and still is really that is backward looking and saying, well, what happened and what did the consumer think? But we've all really, um, you know, obviously civic science has always been awake and alive to this, but, you know, the larger part of the business community has become awake and alive to the fact that we can't keep looking backward. This is not helping us. Things are changing at such a rapid pace. So one thing that you said to me um, a, a couple of weeks ago was that during the pandemic, it really became crystal clear that absolutely no brand and absolutely no industry was really left untouched. So give me some examples of what you meant by that, and then we're going to go into what can we do about a little bit later. Yeah, that's a great question, and a lot to unpack there, uh, <laughs> of course, because as we all know, unfortunately, uh, in early 2020, the pandemic happened, and it turned everything upside down. Uh, every industry, every brand, I don't care if you're a Fortune 50 company or the small coffee shop down the street, it really impacted everybody and it's still impacting everybody and there's there was a lot of good don't get me wrong that came out of it for for businesses i think it pushed uh digital transformation uh like e-commerce far ahead of schedule for a lot of brands and industries so in that way really great uh companies large companies small companies saw their products being consumed and purchased more than ever before now the now every client's coming to us going, how do we maintain those levels of, <laughs> of things? While at the same time, and to touch on your question, you know, how every industry, every brand, has mm -hmm. every consumer, every environment has has been impacted. Right. You know, if we think about the fallout of the pandemic and now the Ukraine war and and supply chain and gas prices and all of those things supply chain is still a mess, right? Yeah, right. If you're an uh, auto manufacturer, technology company, you're oh, still Lord. dealing with, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, I hope you're not trying to buy a car this year, please. <laughs> Unless you want to pay extra, yeah. a lot extra. Yeah. Um, but you're, you're dealing with chip shortages, right? You go to the grocery store, manufacturers, retailers are dealing with stockouts and their favorite brands. And, it, and the list goes on and on. People working from home, right? And they're not exploring the grocery store as much. Our data showed that people didn't go to the grocery store, that they did curbside and delivery services because of fear of COVID and mm -hmm. getting sick and all of those things. Right. And our data has shown a shift recently with vaccines and kind of easing of restrictions and all that, that some people have gone back to the grocery store and they realize, hey, this isn't what I remember it yeah. to be, right? And also, P.S., I don't like the grocery store. <laughs> Can exact. I go back and leave this? Long lines because then there's <laughs> right. nobody there to work, right? Oh, oh my gosh. This so you've got three people to check you out instead of like the mm -hmm. 10 that they really need. Right. I was at our local Whole Foods and the uh, self-checkout line was closed. And the lady in front of me asked, like, why is it not open? They go, there's nobody here to run it so oh, we can't right. open it. So like that kind of defeats automation, yeah. right? Bottleneck, bottleneck, bottleneck is what we're seeing. Exactly. Yeah. Every turn, every corner you turn. So one of the things that we see right now is while consumers for safety didn't go to the grocery stores, now they're doing curbside and delivery out of convenience. Right. So we know now that is that's one of the post-pandemic, not there yet, mm -hmm behaviors that is going to change and right. brands, manufacturers, retailers all need to adopt to that. Right. The other thing that I'll say is, <clears throat> as you see brand stockouts, right, 
uh, due to supply chain issue, the brands that are there that are having to raise prices, we're starting to see this consumer loyalty shift. And it's kind of concerning. So brands need to be aware of this because if their brand, favorite brand isn't there or it's too expensive, they're turning to the other brand. And what our data is showing actually that they're turning to store brand. And they're realizing for the first time that store brand isn't so bad, right? right? right. Especially at some of like the, the Kirklands and the Aldi's, like the Kroger. Right. It's not so bad. Right. And it's I a just, lot less expensive. I just talked yesterday with Ann Stevenson from Explore Research about this. And she's an expert in Shopper Insights. And she could not agree more with you about what they're seeing as well. And what you're really talking about now is this inflationary layer that's coming on top of everything else. But I want to go back to something you said a little earlier and unpack it just a little bit. You said, you know, the small coffee shop down the street and in the Fortune 50 brand, like they're all suffering, like there is hurt everywhere. And I, I did want to point out, you know, it was a really great episode from uh, the founder, John Dick, who has the podcast, The Dumbest Guy in a Room, which I always give a shout out to another podcaster. <laughs> it's always great. But, you know, you guys also have been doing a lot of interesting work with McDonald's through the pandemic pandemic um, about, you know, the, the multifaceted problems that came. They were not only dealing with what you would think is a monolith. Oh, they can't be, you know, they can't, they're too big to fail. Well, that's not really true. But they were very smart about the way they used information from civic science intelligence. And I'd love to have you explain that just a little bit, because what I was interested in is not only were they using this information to get that competitive edge uh, for products and servicing and how they were going to deliver their goods, and but also how they were going to take care of their employees and be attentive to this fear that was out there and when would this be okay for people. So tell me a little bit about that, you know, uh, a, amazing partnership and really a, a good story through the pandemic and now even what are they doing as they emerge? Yeah, McDonald's is a fantastic company. Uh, they really care about not only their customers, but their employees. And they use us and other uh, partners as, yeah. as well. Um, but the way that they use us is kind of a really unique way uh, and kind of sets the table for the way that we would like all clients to, to use us is this concept of always and tracking everything, you know, always studying everything, whether it's the external forces or the internal forces. So through the pandemic and even today, you know, they leverage our data to really be agile. So they want to... They look at all regions. They don't look at it from a master brand standpoint. They look at how all the different markets are being impacted. They also look at how uh, people are thinking about returning to the to the workforce. You know what's going to make them feel safe and secure, but also motivated, right? And all of these things impact customer service, right? You have to have happy. Oh, they do. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, you're not going to return. You yeah. can have the the best hamburger and fries, you know, in the marketplace, but if you have a bad experience. You know, you right. see McDonald's has kind of two CMOs, right? A global CMO and a CMO that's very much focused on consumer experience. And I think that is really setting the stage for how a lot of retailers mm -hmm. and QSR and QCR really needs to interact with, with their consumers. And again, it trickles down from right. corporate down to the employees that work in these stores, but also, you know, to the, to the customer. So yeah. leveraging our data to understand price sensitivity, uh, how COVID's impacting you, mask mandates, gas prices. I mean, we're seeing right now, because we track everything always. Right, it's always Science, on. <laughs> as soon as gas prices started shooting through the roof, we, we turned on the question, you know, mm -hmm. how are gas prices impacting your future behaviors? And we're able to cross that against different things like 
going to QSRs, going to retailers, going to work even, right? Mm -hmm. So we see that people are saying they're going to be driving less to save money, which means if they're not in their car, they're not going through drive-thrus, right. right? They're not going to the retailers. And McDonald's needs to start to understand things like this, as well as our other clients of how, you know, that impacts them. Mm-hmm. And then now they need to lean more on delivery, right. you know, and, and all of those types of things. So they do a great job of, of leveraging our data, uh, embracing uh, our mission of studying everything always, because mm-hmm. as we know, everything is constantly changing. Uh, right. Unfortunately, things have been changing too frequently and too negatively uh, <laughs> in the last you know, three months, four months with all of the, the new things that have started, but really uh, they do a, a great job of leveraging the data. Yeah. Well, one thing I liked from that uh, McDonald's uh, interview that you have, and also one that you had about um, health, about Walgreens, was that it isn't just about some of the negative things. And I know that people kind of glom onto that and mm-hmm. say, you know, you guys are dealing with looking at rising gas prices, looking at this inflationary, you know, layer, looking at, um, you know, the the fear and, you know, just other kinds of things that we've seen variants and things like that. But now it's, it's shifting and it's out of the pandemic. But one thing I liked about that um, is also the positive things that they're able to to see with getting this enriched data that is real time (laughs) and something that they feel like, oh my gosh, we can do something about this today. So tell me a little bit about how you see brands really winning. Let's get positive here. Like how are they using the information from business, um, you know, this real business intelligence that they're getting from civic science intelligence and how do you see the positive and, and brands who are forward thinking enough to actually really, you know, use this effectively? Yeah, that's a great question. And like I said at the beginning of our, our chat here, there are a lot of positives that, that have come out of, of COVID that I think are going to shape the future very quickly. And one of those being that large and small companies of all shapes and sizes have realized the need to keep a pulse on the consumer in real time. It's not waiting for your brand tracker that comes out quarterly and three weeks after the quarter ends getting the results because it's too late at that point, right? I kind of laughed, but in some ways we should probably cry. Anyway, keep going. Yeah, <laughs> we'll I talk think, about that a I little think a bit lot more. of brands have been crying about their <laughs> okay. brand trackers for a while, but okay. they don't know what to do about it. Right. And you use the right word, enrichment, right? It's not replacing everything that you right. do. It's finding new ways to enrich it. And I think one of the really great positives that have come out of this is the human humanization of data and insights mm-hmm. and realizing as going through this pandemic, going through all of these different humanitarian things that we're dealing with uh, in this country and around the world is that the consumer matters. Their mental health matters. There's been a huge mental health focus, right? Right. Our data, again, studying everything always, we track how time and, you know, money are impacting your life. And for the first time, we've seen a pretty significant shift that people have taken a step back and realized that time is more important than money. I think it's part of the reason we're seeing this great resignation. So now it's getting brands to rethink and companies of, again, all shapes and sizes, how they hire, how they take care of their employees. And again, all those things start to to trickle down. I think that for the long term is going to be very positive. Uh, We have this remote work culture that I don't think is going to change anytime uh, soon. I think it's kind of here to to stay. Mm -hmm. But the positives that for brands that we've seen out of this from a data perspective 
are that they're not just asking the me questions anymore. They're starting to challenge that. Like, what do you think about my brand? You know, how likely are you to buy my brand? What was your experience with my... Those are all the me questions, right? Like, mm-hmm. what do you expect? You know, right. and tapping into the same <laughs> panel to get the kind of same results and that the definition of insanity. Right. How do we start to understand the consumer's health? Mm-hmm. So one of the missions we've been on at Civic Science is helping brands understand the consumer health, not just the financial health, but the mental health, the well-being, because all of those things impact how consumers shop, how they think about spending their money, and we really need to kind of go beneath the water of the, mm-hmm. the iceberg right. to understand all of these other factors that are impacting the consumer psyche, their decision-making process. I mean, we get asked a lot from major brands, who's my customer, <laughs> right? And and I kind of always take a step yeah. back from that question. I'm like, really? Oh. You don't know who you're... Right. And it's because the pandemic has really shaken everything up, right? right. And there's price sensitivity. There's, you know, again, supply chain issues. So mm-hmm. who's my customer? And especially as we're moving from third-party cookie world to a first-party cookie world, right. brands are going to have to act different mm-hmm. and more consumer-centric than ever. Right. And, again, very positive momentum headed towards this, both for civic science and the industry as a whole. Right. Well, you know, just to give one example to that, it just as I was listening to you, I was thinking about kind of the example of who is my customer. And someone saying, well, our, our um, customer um, averages $75,000 net income. Um, okay, well, first of all, <laughs> probably half of your customers, let's just say for an example, half of them, you know, are in the 150000 and the other half of them are at the 35000 Yeah, you may average somewhere in the middle there, but if you don't really understand the nuance of that information, you start, you know, marketing to who is my customer. Oh, it's a $75,000 average income. Now you're, you're messaging and marketing to probably someone who is not even your audience. Right. So now you're you're um, you're taking a look at segmentation in a very distorted way because of the way you're slicing data. So let's talk a little bit about slicing data, because you said that, you know, there's a problem with brand trackers. Let's just go for it. Let's just, you know, how are brand trackers broken? Tell me what you really see as the problem. How are people crying? (laughs) What what are the tears all about? And um, and then let's talk a little bit about what we can do about it. Yeah, I think it starts with, again, understanding who your customer is and a lot of research methodologies force people to cluster right so there's a lot of hypotheses testing right of like oh we think we want to target 18 to 24 year olds right but is that really who wants to buy and is interested in your product or service oh the monolith of 18 to 24 right (laughs) and i've been yeah i've been dealing with this a long time even in my prior company of challenging the status quo of how we get to the segment and not guessing, right, with our ad agencies on who we think we should be advertising to, then we go develop these massive segmentations that are super expensive, and then we track against those segmentation, and we hope that it's all right. (laughs) So in this new digital world where the consumer is more empowered and has a megaphone to speak on for themselves, for their tribes, everything like that. So my last company, Social Listening, you know, really got to the white space opportunities of saying, who is my customer? Civic Science does the same thing just through asking research and studying everything always and asking intent questions to a massive U.S. sample in a very different way than panels that we're getting millions of responses a day. We can ask a question like, how likely are you to buy this product or service in the next 30 days? 
and again, not forcing people to cluster, but really start to see who this customer is. Oh, it's not my 18 to 24 right. year old that I thought it was, it's actually 28 to 32 year olds, right. and now that changes everything, right? right? And, the, the, and that group with something very different on their mind. So what mind state are they in right. when they're actually buying from me? Before we keep talking about brand trackers, I just want to back up one little thing that you said about um, uh, about uh, the, the grouping or like how you're actually, the, um, the, the methodology that, that is behind civic science. So you mentioned there we can go turn on and we can ask a question. So how is the methodology of what you're doing at Civic Science Intelligence different from, say, a paid you know, sample respondent type of thing or a professional survey taker or something like that. Yeah, it's a really innovative approach that, that we've come up with. So well, we, good, because we're at an innovative yeah, conference. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so we've, uh, over the last 12 years, uh, developed a really innovative polling and surveying platform uh, by partnering with publishers. So when I say publishers, I mean mainstream websites, news sources like MSN, NBC owned and operated affiliates, uh, Univision, BuzzFeed, Slate. So hundreds of, of well-known yeah, premium publishers, right? <laughs> Where you're consuming their wonderful content and reading the different articles that, that they have to share. So we sit in the right rail or in the article itself as a non-intrusive native experience that's a dynamic widget. So it doesn't look like a sketchy ad unit that somebody is going to fill out their data and, and it's all going to be you know taken to God knows where. <laughs> um, but it looks like it's coming from the premium publisher. And we always lead with what we call an engagement question to entice and engage the audience. And we've found that we tap into people's narcissism <laughs> and curiosity. So we reward them by showing them how they stack up against everybody else. And then we start to launch into important questions that we track always for our, or custom questions for our brands and then profile questions. So they opt in. Uh, we do not pay them anything. Uh, it is all voluntary. Uh, it's all self-reported. Uh, we collect no PII, so it's all very safe, you know, within this uh, data security environment that we have. And then we're able to take that data, three, four million responses from tens of thousands of people a day, oh billions of data points that we have across all industries, cultural trends and topics, and major brands. And what the coolest thing is, we can cross it all together to tell you what this audience looks like and what you should be thinking about versus going, do you think... <laughs> You like my brand and that you'll right. buy it soon, right? Uh, Hi, I'm here. Would you like to go home with me? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's like these awkward questions that are at the beginning of surveys. Um, I could touch a little bit on this idea of how different that is, that it's not a paid respondent. Um, and then also that they're getting the information. Like That is something that I think people forget in market research world is the people who are providing their opinion, they also want to know, well, how... Do where do I sit in this opinion or, you know, not how you rank, but really just like it, it is interesting to know what your peers are thinking and, and you know, where the heartbeat of the, of the rest of the respondents, you know, come in at. So uh, we don't have time to talk about that because I do want to ask one last question about uh, the brand tracker because I think that is such an important issue and, and something that I think we really need to amplify in this industry. So what you're saying is in the past it has been, oh, replace your brand tracker, it's broken, it's dead, or it sucks, or, what, you know, whatever we want to say. But what you're saying is that it, 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 it's just not enough anymore. And so if it's not enough, which we all know they're very expensive, um, but if it's not enough, then what ideally needs to happen so that brands really have at their fingertips the information in order to go forward? Yeah, I don't think it's been enough for a long time. Mm. This isn't something that just happened out of the pandemic that the brand trackers got worse, right? <laughs> uh, and, you know, we'll leave the the 
panel data uh, conversation for another time okay. at the moment <laughs> and paying people and Amazon gift cards to give you the answers. Um, but really what it, it's again, it's not replacing. Uh, it's about enriching the brand tracker. It's about thinking about everything always that could be impacting your consumer, not just your industry. I think a lot of brands navel gaze and they think about their product, their service, their industry, and they don't look at adjacencies. They definitely don't take time because of survey fatigue and cost per response and all of those things to look at all of the other factors that go into your consumer's health. If companies cared as much about consumer health and consumer data, in the sense of all of the different factors that are impacting that decision and their lifestyles before they even think of your product or service, as much as they do about their brand health, you would really start to see this dimensionality of who this audience is. And you, I think, and what we're seeing in our data and how our clients are using it, you start to have a more human experience with your customers because now you're creating a more personalized experience. Well, right. personalized, but let me kind of tack on to that. It seems to me that it is uh, not only personalized, but it's less of a rear view mirror and it's starting to move really into the territory of foresight. And I know there are a lot of CEOs who are feeling like they're walking into meetings, but they're not armed with the information that they need in order to really guide a company forward and say, what are we missing? There is a lot of FOMO going on, I think, in the C-suite and saying, we don't even know what the next possible trend is. We don't. We can't see it coming. And how can how can technology really help us do that? Do you? It seems to me that you know that civic science intelligence is the answer to that. Yeah. When you think about the the pandemic changing everything, why are brands still using all the same tools and data that they did before? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. That to me just still kind of like, what? <laughs> so think about Michael Lancor from Procter & Gamble gave a, a wonderful speech this morning on uh, in tech, which I love that term. I'm going to start promoting that term, okay. insights tech, <laughs> right? And the way that brands need to be more agile. They need to consider how to save costs and yet get higher quality of insights. And I think there's something really to that. And we're going to see that transformation really start to pick up over the next year or two within the, within the space. But if you think about the way that brands approach all of these you know, different data sources, I think it's still jumbled, right? I've got this data source and this insights, they don't actually connect. So how do you connect the dots? But then how do you just not report those charts back to your executive team? Mm -hmm. How do you give them executive level insights that they can do something with? Right. I think insights people, marketing people, data scientists should be thinking, how do I give the talking points that would go in an investor document at the quarterly mm -hmm. earnings report? Right. Like that level of depth of insight mm -hmm. and what to do about it right. is really what's lacking. And I think all of us can can do better right. you know, for our clients in terms of helping elevate the conversation and not just being the insights and research team that has all this data and they're there if I need them. Right. Let's be more proactive. Mm. Well, you bring up Michael Ancor and that's really interesting because that's a guy who just side note, also has a lot of problem with paid respondents <laughs> and is very concerned about the health of the, you know, the pool that we're using in market research. So, and, you know, he, he really is helping push, you know, momentum forward really to saying, how could we do better? And I, I like that idea, even from Procter & Gamble of, you know, here you're looking at a very expensive C-suite, 
but are we armed with the right information to go forward? I do just as a thank you, Zach, for you spending your time and, and expounding a little bit on CSI for us. I want to give you just a minute to talk about the latest guide that you all put out because I do think it is a really interesting help. It, it, it really is coming into this um, market and into the business world and saying, look, we can help you. Let me let me give you the guidance of how you're going to actually make it through, you know, and really emerge a winner out of the pandemic, but also how can how can you be thinking, what's the mindset shift that your team needs in order to really be starting to think about this foresight? So tell us just a minute about that. We've got probably about one minute left on the podcast, but we'll definitely attach it in the show notes and anybody who wants to take a look at that. That sounds great. Thank you for the commercial break. Oh yeah. <laughs> so we've put out uh, a guide that we call Navigating the Seas of Change because we know that we've been experiencing a lot of change over the last two years and it continues to just accelerate, it right. seems. You know, the ripple effects of COVID and all of these different things, supply chain, gas prices, we're going to have a midterm election. Brands, oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> Brands really need to start thinking about how to navigate things in a more agile way, taking on data sources and really studying everything always. You know, it's a tagline, you know, to civic science that, you know, everything's always changing. We need to study everything always. We believe that. We don't believe right. that just for our company. We truly believe that for our clients. They need to study everything always. And this guide really helps I hope, open their eyes to all of the different data sources, factors that they should be monitoring to deliver these executive level insights, but not also thinking about just insights for media and marketing, but insights for HR, insights for the finance team, insights for the enterprise, right? right? right. We need to start elevating the conversation across the enterprise. So coming soon, another ebook on how to do better brand tracking and enrich your tracker as well. Uh, so a lot to come. Thank you for, yeah. for the time today. I love it. Well, if this has uh, been a part of something you're interested in, in your own digital transformation success at your company, please tech, uh, take a look at this. Zachary Nippert, thank you so much for taking your time here at IIEX and talking about something that really is truly innovative. And that's, that's such a refreshing thing to be talking about in this space. And, and it, it has been a joy to have you and just to get to know a little bit about what you all do there. Thanks. Thanks, Priscilla. It's a pleasure to be with you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.